0: All right, good afternoon, and welcome everyone to our 7investing podcast. I'm 7investing founder and CEO, Simon Harrison, joined by my colleague, 7investing lead advisor, Steve Symington. We're going to be talking about robotics on today's show, which is a topic that's really interesting, really innovating quickly out there. And so we brought in some experts to share their opinions of this space. Brian Gosman is the chief investment officer of the Contigo Capital Groups, also the portfolio manager of the Alpha Centric Robotics and Automation Fund, on that is G-N-X-I-X. He's also got his analyst from the Contigo Group, Jen Kwan, joining us on the call this afternoon. Gentlemen, thanks for being here with Seven Investing.
1: Thanks for having us. us.
0: Brian, you and I have chatted for years about robotics. I've always enjoyed these conversations, but the last time I think that we spoke was before COVID entered the picture. Uh, How do you think that this last year has impacted the robotics market at at the 10,000-foot level?
1: I I think it's been a... You know, I hate to say anything positive about COVID, but, uh, I mean, as far as robotics are concerned, you know, with the the social distancing and, uh, you know, we still have to have manufacturing. There's products that still need to be made. But at, you know, a normal manufacturing line, when you have to have six feet separation between two people, uh, well, then you're going to have product loss, right? You're going to have capacity issues. So there's been over 36.7% increase in orders for robots since year over year, since COVID has started. Uh, Because if you don't have that one person in the middle in the manufacturing line, you got to have a robot in the middle. And so that has kind of happened uh, throughout this whole past year, this whole period so that companies can continue to manufacture as many products. Uh, And I don't see it going backwards. any means, I mean the global adoption has already been increasing exponentially over the years. But then with COVID, now um, it's it's just uh, it's it's just increased uh, significantly. Um, If it you know if not for the uh, semiconductor shortage right now, um, I wouldn't surprise that if uh, it was you know that thirty six point seven rate was more like sixty percent. But so um, COVID has greatly, greatly. escalated the the adoption all around the world Um, and orders are up. So uh, I think that we're just in a new work environment, a new workplace, whether it's manufacturing or anything else. I mean, we're obviously doing this call over Zoom. A lot of people are working from home now. Um, But as far as automation, um, I think a lot of companies that were kind of on the fence about automating uh, or using robotics have kind of just been pushed over the cliff uh, because there's, there's really has been no other option to survive over the past year. Uh, and we're seeing, so we're seeing that in the, uh, you know, the sales numbers, the revenue numbers, um, from these robotics companies all around the world.
2: Beautiful. Um, so that that kind of, I guess you can look back and see how things have been accelerated. And I agree, it's been kind of fantastic to watch. Uh, maybe one of the few silver linings uh, for investors in the, uh, you know, amid the COVID pandemic. Uh, but taking a more maybe present uh, and forward-looking stance, investors have been kind of bombarded with, you know, here's a way to, to play 5G. 5G is such a massive opportunity. Lots of different ways it can take advantage. Um, but one sneaky way to play 5G is through the robotics industry. Can you uh, talk a little bit about how 5G is impacting and potentially fueling sure. robotics?
1: Yeah, sure. There's a, there's a couple... There's a couple things. So, prior to 5G, um, you know, a lot of robots had to be tethered to something, right, cord. So, so how do you how do you implement robotics and automation in uh, agriculture, and a farm field, uh, with tethered robots, right? That doesn't really work out too well. With 5G, um, I mean, the, the amount of data that's that's able to be transferred wirelessly, um, the the latency issues that have been um, cleaned up now we have the ability to cut the cord on the robots and it's uh i mean that's significant in almost every industry group as far as uh robots are concerned now going beyond that if you look at um more precision things like surgical robotics um i recently did an interview and i got to play with the uh the stereotex genesis uh system from here in minnesota and the robot was in st louis And I'm here with my mouse controlling the machine uh, on my monitor, looking at moving a catheter around electromagnetically uh, in St. Louis. It was a fake heart, by the way. Wow,
0: yeah, that's awesome.
1: But but the thing is, is that, so so like uh, scrolling in and out with my mouse, I'm moving the catheter back and forth inside of this heart from here. No latency, just you know, in milliseconds, my movement, it's moving over there. Before 5G, that was going to be difficult. I mean, there's been a lot of companies, Intuitive Surgical's been working on uh, telerobotics for quite some time. Um, and Stereotex, obviously, and Accuray, um, and I believe Correntice was before they were acquired. Um, but now with 5G, it's actually precise. I mean, the precision, uh, zero latency zero margin uh, for error, but that's from a surgeon anywhere in the world operating on a patient anywhere in the world. So th- those are, those are kind of, uh, the fundamental aspects of how 5G has actually revolutionized every, every aspect of robotics.
0: Yeah, let's double-click on that surgical robots uh, topic there, Brian. And I mean that pun intended, since you actually probably were double-clicking when you actually got to control the robot itself. I mean, as investors, we know Intuitive Surgical, right? This is probably the most well-named publicly traded company that's in surgical robotics right now. But you mentioned a couple other others, right? Stereotaxis, you mentioned Accuray, you mentioned as well. I mean, are there lesser-known companies that are that are on your radar in this space that you think could be investment opportunities for us?
1: Well, you know, I think all the companies on my radar are lesser known. Uh, um, they always kind of have been. But, you know, back in 2013 when I started, um, you know, building my universe of robotics companies, I mean, there is, we had Intuitive Surgical, that was that was it, Research for Robotics. That, over the past few years, has become a group of almost, you know, 16 to 20 different names. They're everywhere from, you know, uh, laparoscopic surgery, cardiovascular surgery, surgery. Um, you know, dental surgery. There's, you know, uh, restoration robotics that was acquired. I mean, they're doing, hair implants with, uh, with robotics. I mean, just across the spectrum, that space has grown, um, significantly, uh, just over the past few years. Now, there's also a lot of consolidation in the space because we all know that there are, a few, large players in the medical device arena, and uh, you know they. The days of intuitive surgical uh, trading under a hundred bucks, going up to over a thousand, doing a reverse three-way split, and being back up to eight hundred dollars now—I mean, that—I mean, they're 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 too expensive now. Um, They're they're a main player. Their their market cap is reaching, you know, significant to like Stryker and uh, other companies. But uh, the medical device companies have learned over the past few years that you better not let any of these guys go. Uh, that far or get that, that large. Uh, when Mazor Robotics was purchased by uh, Medtronic, um, you know, it was a strategic partnership. And I mean, there, I think there was some capacity issues if I remember correctly. And then that partnership turned into an acquisition. But it, you know, that went, I don't know, I think we bought it at $8 and it was acquired for what, around $50 or so. Um, but since then, uh, you know, one of these companies gets to about $10 or $15, and it's, it's gobbled up um, by, you know, one of these players, whether it's Medtronic or, or Siemens or or Striker or, or whichever, which is kind of unfortunate uh, from the investment standpoint because, you know, you want things, these these guys to run. You know, I want it to be a $100 stock, but, um, you know, it's just the learning curve. Um, it's the new way that we're doing medicine. It's with surgical robotics and telerobotics. It just makes sense because you don't always have a doctor or a specialist <clears throat> in the same location as so you have a patient with a critically uh, critical issue that has to happen right now. With telerobotics, I mean, it's, it's, it saves lives. There's a doctor everywhere in the world now. As long as there, there's a device in one location, there's a doctor with a computer in another location. I mean, just the impact of human life in general um it's extreme it's so the medical space has kind of been revolutionized over the past couple of years and i don't know how much focus anyone is paying attention to that but it's changing significantly
0: how about Accuray, uh, Jen? can you talk a little bit about Accuray? i think that was another company you guys mentioned just a minute ago
3: yeah yeah i would love to uh Kind of going back to like what Brian was saying, how total uh, robotics has changed the entire field of healthcare. care. Uh, when Brian and I are doing analytics on these companies, we really look at, God forbid, if like any of us had something that went wrong. So Accurate focuses on cancer, but if something were to go wrong, we want the best for our friends, our family to be treated in the, by the best doctor and the best robotics system possibly know. And that's how we kind of like gauge our analytics and investments. What would we decide on if something were to happen? And kind of going back to Accuray, so one in two uh, women in this world are going to have cancer, and one in three men in this woman are going to have cancer. That's like the statistics of it. And the biggest uh, complication that involves with radiotherapy it's called intrafraction tumor motion. And what that means is when a tumor or a cancer is in somebody's body, they have to get radiotherapy. And when they're laying on that device, let's say it's a lung cancer or process, uh, any type of cancer in the body, your bodily fluids are moving consistently, you're breathing. And when they when the doctors try to accurately precision the cancer treatments, no, normal systems, what they do is they create a bigger margin and treat the whole radiation area so they, they don't miss, but... The well, and, well, and cut you open. Yeah, and, and cut you open by surgery too.
0: Right, right.
3: Yeah, but <clears throat> what accurate and with their new device, uh, CyberKnife, the whole S7 system, it's going to be revolutionary technology. Uh, what it does yeah. is... It has now incorporated synchrony, and what that means is it uses AI systems to be able to track the tumor precisely, and to be able to send radiation to that tumor in a submillimeter manner. And the reason why I'm so excited about this new device that's coming out, the new version S7, is... uh, the old version was able to be treated, you'd have to allocate an hour's time to treat the patient, but now with the new CyberNice S7, that hour has been decreased to 15-minute treatment times, and Accuray has been a pioneer in radiation therapy. Um, everything from starting out with hypofractionated treatments and delving into what that means is traditionally when you have radiotherapy, it Patients seem to go into the hospital for six to eight weeks and they're given the radio dose in a very like consistent and wide like manner. But with accurate accuracy and precision and with all the technology that's going on, incorporating products as well, they're able to give higher doses to that tumor. And patient can just walk out of their receiving four or five treatments versus having the radiation be given over like the eight weeks and having
1: a lot of side complications from that. So, to, to unpackage all that a little bit. So here's the visualization. Instead of you, say you have a brain tumor, Simon, and uh, you got to go in and surgeons got to cut you open and they say, here's your chances. Uh, you know, you, you got a 80, 80, 70 or 80% chance that uh, this is going to work. 30% chance that you're screwed. No, they, they bump something in your your brain once they cut you open. Accurate is a robotic laser that you go, you lay down with all your clothes on, nobody cuts you open, you lay down on the table, and it accurately shoots that laser directly at that tumor in your head. 15 minutes, it's gone. And you get up and you leave. So the just the impact of that, and, and they have FDA approval for... Cancers anywhere in the body. Yeah. To be able to just directly in, in micromillimeters shoot out that cancer with that laser is game changing. And they, their their S seven system incorporates uh, additional amount of AI with it that, that is just I mean it's, it's game changing. Um, and so they they have their CE mark. Uh, They're selling systems, um, and it's it's really one to follow.
0: Keep an no eye on. Uh, du- duly noted, Brian. We let's change gears as I think about my mortality here. I like the robot, though, if that increases my chances rather than seventy percent. Right, uh, Steve. What what else do we have? Is there any other questions we wanted to ask Brian and Jen about robotics?
2: Yeah. So, um, I mean, we've mentioned acquisitions a little bit, and you know, for perspective, uh, you know, just taking a look at, at Accuray and Stereotaxis. I mean, these are both very small companies, four hundred million to five hundred million uh, market caps um what kind of chance you know do you do you you give them to kind of continue to blaze their own trails um without being acquired and if they you know some by some maybe miracle they aren't you know chased as acquisition candidates you know how big do you think they become in their respective spaces like what's the potential here
1: well and that's difficult so uh when i was interviewing David Fischel, the CEO of uh, Sierra Taxes, I uh, kind of uh, asked that, that same question, you know, is there sniffing around? Um, you know, and he what he kind of elegantly explained is that, you know, it's a company, there's a board. They diligently have to entertain. They have to entertain any offers for, the, for their shareholders. Um, so, so there's not, a, there's, it's not always a choice. Um, you know, when you run a company, you, you have to entertain these offers. But, um, you know, I tell you, as, as far as stereo taxes goes, talking to official, uh, that is a textbook balance sheet. Like you, you see in college in, in an accounting class of, of ideally how a balance sheet is supposed to look. It's how that company's balance sheet looks. Mm-hmm. He came in, he cleaned up the whole company, cleaned up the debt, uh, and they're, you know, they're, they're their plan has been conservative. I would say uh, their growth, because it's, it's uh, very financially conscientious uh, the same way. So a company like Sterio like Taxes, I mean, the longevity, I mean, they could go forever. I mean, that's, that's a multi-billion dollar business, the heart ablation uh, treatments alone. Uh, regardless, uh, um, the Genesis system can do more than that. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that area of focus right there is multi-billion dollar um, um, marketplace right now. And they're the only ones that are using electromagnetic fields to pull a catheter from wherever it goes into your body, maybe in your leg, and pull it into your heart. Manipulate it remotely through electromagnetic fields and pull it back out, uh, as opposed to how we normally do uh, catheters. And, you know, I put it in you and it's connected, and, I, and we shove it up. We just shove it up and through into your heart and try to you know, uh, manipulate that uh, from way back on the end of the host. Uh, yeah, like three feet away. With, with Serotex's electromagnetic uh, system, it pulls. It's more accurate. It's game-changing. Uh, it's, more pres- it's just uh, completely more precise. It's safer to patients as when we talk about Accuray. It's just safer. Humans have a certain amount of manual dexterity. They are the best surgeon in the world. It's limited. Mm-hmm. And it does not go to the uh, the decreased margin of error that these surgical robotic systems
2: can perform. You got me squirming a little bit here during the whole-, <laughs> whole that's, a true <laughs>
0: that's the question I wanted to ask though, Brian, is, 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 is exactly what I think you're touching on right there, which is um, what- uh, I'm not sure how to, how to ask this correctly, but you know what is driving the adoption for these robots, right? You've got institutional knowledge in the medical community. You've got doctors that are used to being laparoscopic surgeons rather than using robotic surgery. Uh, I know you come from a medical family yourself. I mean, I mean, is it is it the data that is driving this, and the hospitals are adopting it, or is it regulatory groups? Uh, or, or the government, like we saw with electronic health records, just kind of shoving it down people's throats and saying, this is what you need to do now. Like, what is driving the, the market at the highest level for robotic surgery higher?
1: So any of these companies, whether it's Accuray or, or Pyrotaxis or any of these others, there are years and years of clinical data built up for each of these procedures. So, so just talking about like uh, the heart ablation, uh, treatments that thatsteroex um, is doing. That's a decade of preclinical data and research and study um, that has gone into that. And at the same time, um, they've also created these what are called fellowship programs for doctors. So if a doctor's interested in, uh, you know trying this or, or at least you know, touching or, or learning how to use it before you, you spend two million bucks on a, a new device, Your hospital, they have a lot of these companies have these fellowship programs where doctors can go in and touch the device, uh, manipulate the device, read the preclinical data, um, and and really uh, learn hands-on, and then decide. You know, then let the doctor go to the hospital, the administration, and and talk and say, we really have to buy this thing, we have to do this. But it's a hands-on approach, so it's it's, rather than just like marketing and trying to sell hospitals and doctors they're marking by teaching just an open forum and teaching these doctors hey would you like to come and take a you know this course and use this instrument well of course if you're a doctor i mean i'm not a doctor but i'm nerdy enough. i'd sign up for one of the you know <laughs> the, the fellowships um but once you know i think once these doctors go through those programs they're hooked you know they, they see they read the clinical data they've, they've seen the results and the precision and they are excited and they understand how to use these systems um and and that's so anyway so that's kind of the uh, uh marketing um direction that, that a lot of these companies are, are are using uh to
2: sell their devices so um yeah it's really interesting uh, i've just kind of been thinking in the background here um talking about this kind of large company versus small company uh you know this battle you almost wonder what what hope do these up-and-comers have in challenging sort of the the established leaders in their niche you know you talk about intuitive surgical um you wonder how defensible is you know they've got this razor and blades model that's massively profitable um where like in a case like stereo i think i was reading um that interview you did with their CEO uh, where you're talking about how they kind of cleaned up their balance sheet and they paid off, I think it was 20 million in debt and they only had 2 million in cash on hand and they were burning 8 million in cash a year, which isn't a good position for a company like that. So great uh, from terms of capital allocation and, uh, and balance sheet. But then you look at a company like intuitive surgical that I think last year generated over 1.1 billion in free cash flow, and uh, they've got over 5 billion in cash on hand. So how, um, disruptable are the leaders in this space and how do you kind of determine like who and which companies um, have the potential to potentially do, you know, i guess disrupt them and move around what what is what do you look for there
1: well you want to look at r&d spending you want to look at organic growth not growth by acquisition uh, sure. uh you know intuitive surgical just uh they've they purchased i forgot the name of the company right now, but they purchased that, you know, healthcare um, database, uh, you know, cloud technology system, which I didn't really get the synergy there. But regardless, um, you know, the DaVinci X it's come out. I've not heard a whole lot uh, more since. Is there another uh, system that's going to be coming out? I mean, is that, where's the, the product development? Where's the R&D? Um, it, it, are they just have gotten so big that they're just gonna grow through acquisition. I don't like that. I like organic growth, um, personally. Oh, and uh, you know, so um not to mention there are other companies out there, so so for just for laparoscopic robotic surgery in general, so the Da Vinci system is expensive. It's very expensive. And so, you know, there's other countries besides the US, they have hospitals that can't necessarily spend. Uh, two and a half million bucks uh, on a surgical robot and not to mention like the service contract that goes along with that. So then you, you have companies like transenterics, right? So they also have a surgical company. They're not the size of, uh, of intuitive. Um, I don't know that they ever will be, but it doesn't really matter because they offer a similar product at a lower cost. That's already being adopted by places that can't afford intuitive system so there's a marketplace right there Um, and and as this technology advances and we talked about 5G earlier um, there's going to be more and more competition um, because it's just easier to do and the FDA's learning curve has increased so much on surgical robotics over the past few years that it doesn't even take a quarter of the time for them to to get approval so uh, I don't know so the big leaders I, I would say watch out
2: yeah,
0: And I've got to ask one more question, since we do have Steve Symington, an AI expert on this call, is are you seeing any, any role of machine learning in this field, where today you can actually go and control the surgical robot with a human being, are those robots now identifying tumors themselves and actually autonomously knowing exactly how to cut within a patient, knowing exactly what to do uh, without human intervention? Are we there yet, or is that something that's still years on the horizon, Brian?
1: Oh, oh, we're, oh we're there. Are there. If you look at companies, uh, companies like Clearpoint, uh, Neuro, um, and I mean, Jen could probably talk to you, you know, for 15 minutes about uh, the AI that Accuray is using with their new CyberKnife Seven. Um, but you know, but beyond that, in general, I- even if you if you look at um, pharmaceuticals, you know, uh, or biotech, drug development, you've got companies like excel out there that are using AI for multiple pipelines. so we're talking multi-pipeline like three or four or five or six or 10 different products out there in in phase two uh, FDA approval uh, because the AI systems are uh, just allow them to exponentially increase the amount of products um, that they can literally put out there that that they feel are ready uh, because it's cut years and years out of um, the, the development and testing time period. So the AI that's been used in in biotech, uh, is just as impressive as the AI that's being used in search for robotics. But yeah, I mean it's being implemented um, aggressively by a lot of these companies. So yeah, I look at you know look at companies like Accuray and, and, and uh, Clearpoint uh, Neuro and Bioexcel if, you, if you're interested in researching what where AI is is coming involved in this stuff.
0: Steve, I got some homework for you on those with some of the names that Brian just threw out there. AI and robotics uh, sounds like a really great combination and definitely an interesting market for investors to be keeping an eye on. Again, uh, today, uh, thanks very much to Brian Gosman, Chief Investment Officer of the Contigo Capital Group and also Portfolio Manager of the Alpha Centric Robotics and Automation Fund. Also, thanks to Jim Kwan, his analyst with uh, that team as well. Gentlemen, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed learning about this market from you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for
1: having Thank for having us. My pleasure.
0: And on behalf of my colleague, Steve Symington, my name is Simon Erickson. We are here to empower you to invest in your future. We are 7investing.
1: A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.